0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 19. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. Uh, I, like Elijah, have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. Uh, We're glad you're with us. We're in this lengthy series as a church looking at the Gospels, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're synchronizing them together to tell the chronological story of Jesus the best that we can imagine it. And we have been studying for the past few weeks a specific section of Jesus' life in the first year of his ministry. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in the chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And there are several things that I want to remind you about this, is when we look at this particular passage, we're reminded that Jesus is talking to us about the stuff of real life. This isn't pie-in-the-sky theology at the academic level. There's, an, uh, there's a necessary reason to study the Bible and the scripture and theology, but Jesus was talking to everyday people in the circumstances they faced, real life stuff. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 is Jesus inviting anybody to be a part of his kingdom, not just the up-and-comers, but the down-and-outers as well. He's inviting the broken, the neglected, and the people who have never been invited to anything. He said, blessed are those who, and then he began to list people that are not really blessed. But he was inviting them into the blessings of his kingdom and the promise of it. And then for the remainder of chapter 5, he talks about our relationship with one another. Real life stuff. What do you do when there's anger and contempt in your relationships? What do you do when there's lust in your heart? What do you do when there's broken relationships, when there's been manipulation and deceit? What do you do when there's revenge and retaliation and it's your right to get even? What do people in the kingdom do? Because he's truly inviting us in to the blessings of his kingdom. And then in chapter six, he gets into the relationship with God what does a relationship with God look like? He talks about giving to the poor and taking care of the poor. He talks about praying. He talked about fasting. And these things that we do to draw close to God as God draws close to us. Things that we can do to focus our minds on who God is and his kingdom. Things like giving to the poor and realizing that Jesus came for the broken and those who can't protect themselves. Praying and talking to a God who's available to us all the time and he's close to us. And fasting focusing our minds away from the things we think we need, and reminding ourselves on what we really need. Last week, Michael DeFazio, uh, who's our teaching pastor and also professor at Ozark, spoke, and he talked about the Lord's Prayer. And he broke it down. He called it AAA, and I really like what he did with it. He talked about addressing God, aligning ourselves with God, and asking God to include us and remind us of the work. It's just a really good way to handle that particular prayer. The the religious leaders of the day had created this list. And it's one of my fears when we spend as much time as we have in the Gospels is that you're going to walk out of this like you've had a technical lesson in, in how to be closer to God. And that's not what Jesus was doing. He's having a conversation and inviting people into something that was bigger than them would wrap their whole lives up in him and be a blessing they never could have imagined. You see, the religious people said, here's the checklist. Do these things and don't do these things. Jesus said, I came to give God's will full meaning. I came to show you how to live this out and how to experience. I hope you're open to that today. As we continue uh, in this study, in in Matthew chapter 6 specifically, I want to talk to you about two things. And I just need to confess right up front. This should be two sermons, but I'm a knucklehead and I'm going to try to do it in one and I'll explain at the end why. So to be able to do that, I'm going to have to talk as fast as Michael talks. So I'm going to try the skinny guy method and see if it works. So I'm going to fly, and you can listen to the podcast if I go too quick for you. The reason I'm going to combine it, I'll show you at the end, there's a reason behind my madness. But I want you to understand we're going to talk about two things. Jesus is warning us in real life about things we treasure too much and about things we try to control too much. What we treasure too much and what we try to control too much. Let's begin. Things we treasure too much. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So let's begin to see what Jesus is teaching us about real life. First of all, we all treasure something. We all treasure something. And Jesus doesn't make fun of it. It's part of our human nature to treasure things. In fact, the word treasure has two meanings. It's a verb and a noun. Uh, A treasure is something we place great value on, and we treasure it by placing that value in it. So you can verb and noun treasure however you want. Jesus is talking to us about the verb part of it, the treasuring that we do, the value we place on things. See, Jesus tells us what to do with our treasures. He doesn't make fun of us for having them. He's cautioning us about what we treasure and how we hold on to things psychologists conclude that the easiest way to degrade someone is to devalue what they treasure. And we preachers, oh my goodness, we do it all the time. We say things that are so snarky and and so cutesy on stage when no one's ever going to talk back to us. And we sometimes devalue what people treasure. And Jesus never would have done that. Jesus simply said, be careful what you're treasuring because it's connected to your soul. And that's what we need to hold on to. You see, having treasures is natural. You never teach your children to treasure something. You just watch them do that. As a, as a kid, I had this Winnie the Pooh, and I carried that thing forever. I think I was up to like six years old, and my parents took it from me. They were horrible. Took my treasure. And I asked my mom one time when I was came back from college, I said, do we still have that Winnie the Pooh? She goes, I don't know, and I judged her strongly. I mean, how would you have gotten rid of my Winnie the Pooh? It wasn't yours to get rid of. And she did. Horrible. Anyway, uh, so I'll get over it. But as a kid, no one said, "Here, treasure this." It was just—it was my little friend, and he went with me, and and we played together and imagined things together, and it was just part of it. See, it's natural for us to treasure things, and Jesus said, "I know it is, but be careful, because what you give as your treasure, you give to your soul, and your soul becomes invested in it." You see, the demonstration of intimacy between two persons they tell us, is knowing each other's treasures. Did you catch that? Intimacy between two people? Now, I've been I've known Heather for 34 years. And in those 34 years, I, knows, I know what she treasures. She's not really a possessions person. She treasures more of the environments that are safe for her family and the way she wants it to be. And, and she treasures those things. And when the boys were little, they would get near something she treasured and I'd be like, oh no. And they'd be looking at me like, why? And i go, because She bites. You got to be real careful. Not very often, but when she does it, it hurts. I know. Scar here, scar here, scar here. You know, because I got near the treasures and I didn't value them. I was dismissive with them and it hurt her heart. Remember, what you treasure, you give your soul to. So, what we're going to do is if intimacy and community is based on knowing each other's treasures, on the count of three, I want everyone to shout out what you made last year financially, okay? Uh, no? Wow, too personal? I just proved my point then, didn't I? Intimacy is when you reveal your treasures to somebody else, hoping they'll help you protect them. And Jesus then is going to ask us this question How are your investments doing? How is your treasuring doing? You see, he points out very simply that some treasuring brings temporary success. And this is why we treasure it, it gives us something now. It makes us feel safe now. It gives us comfort now. It gives us power and control and safety and all the things we worship. In verse 19, from a different translation, make no store of wealth for yourselves on earth where it may be turned to dust by worms and weather and where thieves may come in by force and take it away. Do you notice the word of caution here? Be careful what you treasure because if it can be taken from you, you have given your soul to something temporary. He's asking, he said, there's another alternative to storing up treasures on earth. It's to store up treasures in heaven. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But please deflect all sense of shame and guilt from our conversation this morning. This is Jesus inviting us into the kingdom life, the kingdom ethic. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me at all what you were doing 25 minutes ago before you walked into this building. What matters is what are you going to do in the presence of God right now to treasure things that have greater value? Because some treasures simply have temporary success. Some treasuring brings eternal success. Verse 20, instead, invitation, instead of this, try this, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Invest in my kingdom, he's offering us. If, if I had restructured this whole sermon series and I had been smarter than I am, we'd be sitting about 20 minutes on verse 20. There is a promise inherent in here that I don't want us to gloss over quickly. And that promise is this. Jesus said, when you invest in what I'm doing here on earth, nothing ever can take it from you. It can't be ruined, it can't be stolen, it won't fall down in value. It is one of those things that when you invest in my kingdom, and you trust what I'm doing here on earth, and you place your life in the center of that kingdom ethic, and you live that out every day, nothing can harm what you do. We just, we sang the song, what a beautiful name. It's, it's easily my favorite song right now, when I think of my own personal worship. Nothing is greater than Jesus. Nothing is more powerful than Jesus. Nothing is more valuable than Jesus. And that's not just a song. That's reality and truth. That's why you're moved when you sing those words, because you know they're true. And to hear others sing it with us just reminds us of the truth, doesn't it? Investing in that matters. And Jesus said, invest in something that can't be taken from you. Instead of something that could be stolen, why don't you invest in something that he'll protect something that he'll add value to. So what would that mean? I just wanna give you two very practical things from around the scriptures. Two things to focus on. Number one, invest in your character. This is what this sermon is about. Becoming someone more like Jesus, someone who Christ dwells in, who begins to allow that out. Invest in your character. We'll be given new bodies, but the one thing that we will take with us to heaven is our character how we became more Christ-like on this journey. This is his promise to us. The spirit is inside of us to bring Christ alive in us so that we, we would think that anything we gave up to be more Christ-like was loss. But what a gain it was to be like Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of the Hebrew letter wrote, let your character be free from the love of money. Your character. Being content with what you have For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Invest in a character that says, I need to become more like Jesus. I don't need to just do what Jesus did. See, there's a passage we're going to encounter soon enough. Where Jesus said, you cast out demons in my name and you perform miracles in my name. But I did not what? I didn't know you. We're not to do what Jesus did. We're to become Christ-like. You see, I, I've struggled this week. This thought is, has gone through my mind and my heart, and it was really hard for me to process, so I, I just put it out there for other people to respond to because I think it resonated with some of us. Jesus didn't ask me to feel like loving everybody. He asked me to love them. He didn't ask me to feel loving toward them. He asked me to be loving toward them. And that takes character, and that's why it's hard for me. It's hard for me to love the person that's inconvenient or mean or or cruel to somebody else. But it's right for me to do that because it's only in the love that God gives me to pour out in someone that my character is shaped like Christ. And this is what he's calling us to do. Invest in your character. Second of all, invest in eternal relationships. Now, before your mind jumps to evangelism, pause with me for a moment and reason. If you jump right to evangelism, you're doing what the Pharisees and the scribes did. You're basically saying, I'm obligated to tell somebody about Jesus, so I'm going to tell them about Jesus, and then it's all on them. And that's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to invest in a relationship with him. When he says, I did not know you, What he's saying is our relationship is where all of this comes from. The love, the holiness, the righteousness, the life that we're to live is not something we do. It's something we can't help but do when we're close to Christ. So the first eternal relationship you and I need to invest in is our one with Jesus. That's why we'll never cease around here telling you that time in the word of God is not your obligation, it's your opportunity. And if you don't know, listen to me carefully, you might say, well, I, you know, I spent two minutes in the Word today. Praise the Lord. If you were spending no minutes yesterday and two minutes today, you're on the right path. It's not the amount of time. It's not whether you journal. It's not whether you have 10,000 deep, deep questions you're processing. Listen to what the Word of God says about God, about Jesus, and about humanity. And then when this culture lies to us about who God is, who Jesus is, and who we are, we can say, no, I got God's identity down, I got Jesus' identity down, and because of that, I know who I am. Without that, the world is your source of information and knowledge, and you and I will be led astray. So we invest in our relationship with Jesus, and then, from the goodness of that, we, we invest in the relationship with others. Listen to what Deuteronomy 32, verse nine says. What does God get out of this whole kingdom? The Lord's portion is his people. That's what he gets. He gets us becoming like his son and living out our lives with the relationship he and Jesus had. Galatians 6 is one of my favorite chapters Paul wrote. In verses 8 through 10, he says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for when the time is right, we shall reap if we don't quit. Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all men and most of all to the family of faith. Let's invest in something that nobody else can ruin. You see, the soul is the place where treasures pay off. This is what he wants us to understand. What we spend our life treasuring will grow our soul or kill it. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, what you are focusing your life on will either allow light to come into you and break out or it'll be full of the darkness that you keep filling your mind with. And how many of us have had seasons in our life where the light of Christ could not penetrate our minds and our souls because our eyes were focused on the dark things of this world and we treasured the wrong things. You see, our investments develop our soul and Jesus says our souls can only love one thing. Now, I know if you're anything like me, and I pray to God you're not, if you're anything like me, you've thought, no, no, I can love God and love the world. Jesus says, no, you can't. So I have to ask the question, does Jesus know what he's talking about or does Mark Christian know what he's talking about? And that's an easy answer. Jesus said, Mark, I made you. You cannot want the things of this world and want what I know you need. You can't. So treasure what I put in front of you and let the rest of it be laid aside. See, no one can serve two masters, verse 24. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and treasures. So we all have treasures. We're investing our lives in protecting those treasures. And our soul goes with that. So here's where I should stop and send you home and say, we'll see, let's do this again in a week. But I, I can't, and I'll show you why. Let's talk about things we control too much. I want you to see the link between these two. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, which you will eat or drink, or about your body, which you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and let your heavenly father feed them. Are they not more valuable, or are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God is saying there's a choice we get to make in what we treasure and what we focus our minds on. And you can't, you can't separate worry from treasuring, because we worry about our what? That's why it can't be two sermons on two different Sundays. We'd miss the connection. Our worries always circle around our treasures. And so here's the truth. Reasons to worry are natural. Embracing worry lacks faith. Jesus doesn't make fun of our worries. He just gives us a reason to stop when we worry. He gives us a foundation. You see, we worry about things we don't have control over. The the word that Jesus used is the word for being choked worries and anxieties choke us. They keep us from living our lives. When God tells you to not worry about anything, he's telling you to trust him because you're not in control. And isn't that why we all worry? Because I'm not in control. If I was in control, then everything would be great, but I can't help it. When Alex, our oldest, was 16 and he drove away for the first time, his mom was a wreck. She's trying to be strong, but she was so worried and she was giving him all these instructions before he left and I had to play the role of dad and I'm like, Go, just go have fun. And when he drove away I prayed. I prayed I, because he didn't know the power of that vehicle. He wasn't, he wasn't a crazy kid, but he didn't understand what could change in the moment of inattention. And I had no guarantee from God when my son drives away from me every single time that he'll ever come back. There's no guarantee of this. But I knew this I couldn't protect him, but God could. And if God chose to, I had to rest in that. We worry when we're not in control. And Jesus tells us this truth you and I never have a reason to remain anxious if we remember who we belong to. Church, did you hear me? We never have a reason to remain anxious when we're remembering who we belong to. Because when I'm not in control, my God always is. And that's our hope. See, worry is unreasonable. Look at verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life more important than food, or is not life more important than food? I sometimes wonder. <laughs> and the body more important than clothes? That's not a big deal for me. The food issue's huge. See, Jesus said, life isn't about food, Mark. I obsess about food. I have a huge issue with food. I'll finish a meal wondering what the next one is. My worst nightmare is that I'm going to pass on ice cream, and Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to go. I should have had the ice cream. (laughs) It's absolutely unreasonable to think that ever a day in my life, and there are people who have experienced this, and they still trust the Lord. Never had a day in my life where I ever had to wonder if I was going to have anything to eat. I may not have liked what was available, but shame on me. It's unreasonable. It's also irrational. Worry is irrational. Let's just look briefly at verse 26 again. Look at the birds of the air. I love this. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. This is what it says. Jesus goes, look at all these birds. They don't do anything. Fly into windows, that's it. They just are all over the place. Have you ever, I, mean, I hope you never have seen this. If Sarah Hill's in here right now, she's praying right now because she loves her birds. But I've never walked across a parking lot and seen 85 birds laying there dead and went, oh, they all starved. Now there's always food for them. And they don't do a licking thing to earn it, do they? And Jesus said, look, all these birds, they don't do nothing, and you're worried that God's gonna forget you made in his image, whose son came to die for us. It's irrational. And then he says, look at, you worry about your clothes? Look at the field flowers. There's a field that I walk by most every day, and it's, been, it's just a lot that someone owns and they haven't built on it yet. And it's amazing, because they don't, They don't knock the weeds down or anything. Some of the most beautiful flowers God ever created are in that field. Purple, white, yellow. It makes me laugh. Only God would put a flower on a weed. (laughs) And nobody planted those flowers. It's the most beautiful garden in our neighborhood. There are people that that pay thousands of dollars to have flowers in their yard. Nothing like he did there. And Jesus said, hey, see all those flowers? Yeah, they didn't, no one planted them. God provided everything they needed. And they're going to die one day and you're going to cut up all those weeds and all that grass and you're going to use it as fuel and you're going to burn it so you can cook your meals and everything. I think God's got this. It's irrational to think of God who's that fine detailed on everyday existence might forget that you're here. Verse 27. Can worry make your life longer? Church? No. What can it do? can make, that's funny, every service gets that one. Now nah, it can end your life. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he sure, most surely care for you? Remember when Jesus says, you have little faith, he's not mocking them. He's inviting them to more. He said, there's more, where, there's more on this side of the kingdom than there is on your side of the kingdom. When I was a kid, and I remember going to my parents and... Uh, you know, this is an old statement, but roller skating was the deal in the 70s. And I loved to go roller skating, a little place in Mishawaka, uh, about five miles from our house. And, and I'd say to my dad on a Friday night, hey, dad, can I have some money to go roller skating? My dad didn't pay allowances. Now, that's not a bad statement. If you do, that's fantastic. My dad had a different philosophy. He's like, pay you? <laughs> that's his philosophy. So, so it's like, hey, dad, I need paid to take the uh, trash to the curb. And he'd say, then stop making trash. So anyway... Uh, so that's how Dale ran the show. So, but I always knew this about my parents. I could go to my mom or dad at any point in time and say, hey, can I go roller, roller skating tonight? Well, how much is it? Well, it's two fifty to get in and then money for food while I'm there. And I always had to get licorice and a pop and all this stuff. And so my dad would say $5. Now, sometimes my dad would pull out and he'd have $5. Sometimes my dad would open his wallet and go, I, I don't have it. Other times he'd give me seven or eight bucks. And then my brother Scott, can I go too? And my parents would give that. You know what? Never once when I asked my parents for that money to go roller skating, never once in my entire lifetime did I ever think, I wonder if we'll have food tomorrow. I wonder if we'll have a house because I took the last $5. You see, I assumed if my father allowed me to have it, we had it to share. Are you with me, church? And we wonder if God cares about us at all. As if we're gonna ask him for something and he's gonna go, I just don't have it, sorry. Sorry. Just the opposite, in fact. God's like, no, no, sometimes I'm going to give it to you and sometimes I'm not, but it's never about whether or not you're in control. It's always going to be about whether or not I am. You see, worrying about our treasures indicates our battle for lordship. I'd like to just walk through 31 through 33 one more time. Do not be anxious then, don't choke. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink and what shall we clothe ourselves? Don't don't stop your life. Don't live the fullness of the kingdom because you're not in control. For all these things, the pagans, the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Boy, the coffee cups, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Plaques in our hallways, Bumper stickers on our cars. Some of our favorite verses. Most memorable statements of Jesus. It'll be in the top 20. Seek his first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But never forget where he said it and what he was talking about when he said it. God is in control even when we are not. And the things we should treasure is the work of God and the kingdom he's building and the invitation we've received. And if we seek first his kingdom, and we become the people he's asked us to become, not just do the things he asks us to do, but be the people that do them. And he said, then all the things that you're so worried about, God's got. Corrie ten Boom was a survivor of the concentration camps. And in her lifetime, she had an amazing story. As a young woman, her whole family was taken as as prisoners and put in the concentration camps, and she survived it. Her story has amazing elements to it. She was able to forgive in the Ravensbrook concentration camp, one of the guards who killed her sister. Her faith was epic in my world. My favorite story of hers is this simple one. She says, When I when I worry about anything, I make myself say out loud, this is obviously too hard for Jesus to handle. She said, The moment I say out loud, this is obviously too hard for Jesus to handle. She said, I smile, I wink at God, and I go back to worshiping him. What a wonderful name it is. Jesus, our savior. And anytime we wonder that we can't, remind yourself who can. Wink at God and go back to worshiping. You see, because what Jesus was doing with giving and praying and fasting and treasuring and worrying was focusing our minds back on who we're talking about. This fall, I read a book, and the author of this book said something pretty powerful. He said that if you want to align yourself in the kingdom of God each and every morning, when you awaken, pray the 23rd Psalm in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I'll want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Our Father who art in heaven... Holy is your, you see what we're doing here? We're waking up every morning focusing ourselves on, I may not have any of my stuff together today, but I know who does. The Lord is my shepherd, our Father who reigns from heaven. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to conclude very simply this morning with a passage from Habakkuk, a forgotten book in our Bibles, one of the minor prophets found at the very end of our scriptures almost. And it's just one of those books that are a little more difficult for us to assess. And you have to use a lot of commentary work to understand the setting and context. But listen to what is offered as a prayer about who we worship today, the God that we we give to the poor for, the God that we pray to, the God that we fast to refocus our minds, the God that we give and and treasure, and the God who when we worry, we trust. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, And the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. As we draw close to God, let us never forget how he draws closer to us, how he has said to us, in the real life difficulties, I'm enough, Jesus is enough. Jesus is the purpose for which we live, to become Christ-like in our character and our nature and then in our actions, to draw close to his gift and receive it all. He's invited us into something. Will we trust him enough to join him? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.